This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Tuesday's episode, everybody. Today we are talking about one of my favorite topics, rage, anger, being irritated, all of those things. Now, before I get into who I'm talking about, if everything has gone to plan, right now I should be on a plane on my way to LA with my mamere to go see Harry Styles. So everybody just cross your fingers that that is what is happening. So yes, who am I speaking to today? Today I'm talking with Jessie Aredia. She is a certified anger management coach, and she reached out to me specifically to talk about her own experience as being an angry mom and how she got into being an anger management coach and obviously to share tools with us about how to best navigate being angry because To be honest, so many people, and I've noticed this lately on social media especially, people want to label you as being angry as if it's a bad thing. And like that you can only be one thing. Like, oh my God, you're you're so angry. It's like, okay, yeah, the topic that I'm talking about right now does make me angry. But I think for women, especially moms, people use it as almost like an insult. Like, ooh, you're angry. And it's like, yeah, we have a lot of things to be angry about. I, of course, give some funny, well, they weren't funny at the time, but looking back, it's kind of funny that I threw a toothbrush across the room. But obviously, I'm very open about, you know, times where I have experienced rage or anger, not proud of it. I always feel terrible afterwards, but I'm human. So this is just an honest conversation. You will probably learn a lot of tools. I actually had like an aha moment, if I can just pretend to be Oprah for a second, how she explained why we as moms might feel angry or irritated or so frustrated in the moment. I was like, oh my God, it's so true. So without further ado, please welcome Jessie Aredia to the mom room where we sometimes get a little ragey. All right. So today we are talking about a pretty hot topic. I love talking about this topic. People are probably like, what's the topic? What's the topic? Just say it. So we are talking about anger and rage in motherhood. I've done a few episodes on this topic, and I feel like I could do 20 more. I love hearing people's perspectives, like their advice, like coping strategies, and just having these conversations to let people know that they're not the only ones experiencing these intense emotions once they become a mom. Because I don't think I have ever been to the level of like being irritated or like frustrated or angry or like feelings of internal rage like I do now. Like until I had my son, I don't think I ever experienced those. Like I've played like varsity athletics, like never experienced that. So we will get into all things anger and motherhood. I thought to start, you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in this topic and wanting to help others with it. Because I know you went through experiencing anger yourself. 
Definitely. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for having me on. I'm I'm the same as you where I love to talk about this. And you're right. It's it's not as commonly talked about, but these conversations need to happen. So I'm just so thrilled that I even get to be here and do that. So I'm Jesse Aredia. I am a mom of three little girls, all under the age of six. So I'm, I'm in the thick of it, and like a lot of moms who I'm sure are listening to the show. And I am a certified anger management coach, which just means that I can teach women, or I, I more specifically teach moms, how to manage their emotions. How do you manage that rage and frustration and that anxiety or overwhelm beneath the surface? I've been a coach for the last three years, and really what I love to focus on is postpartum rage especially. It's not something that you would commonly hear talked about when you are looking at postnatal disorders like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, but postpartum rage is so closely related and it's a very real experience that a lot of women have, myself included. So really my passion about about this subject has come from my own experience of becoming a new mom, feeling so, so thrilled to have this new baby girl, just looking forward to all the things that motherhood would have in store, but then very quickly realizing that I was experiencing a ton of anxiety that then translated into rage and doing all kinds of wild, crazy, aggressive things. And I just had very little understanding of what was going on. And and I also didn't have tools to know how to manage it. So that's really why I'm here today. Were you aware that you were feeling anxious or was it just kind of presenting as rage and anger? You know, it's interesting because I knew that I could be classified as being an anxious person. And even when I was in college, I was diagnosed with transitional anxiety. And it was just another way of saying that, like, I was in a really big season of life change. I was getting married. I was, you know, just dealing with a lot of things in life. And so I was feeling more unsettled and just more just kind of up and down in my emotions, just feeling overwhelmed over little things. As far as like, did I know that that was anxiety? Not always. Sometimes I really could feel physical anxiety, but other times all I knew was that I was experiencing this blind rage over seemingly little things. And it wasn't until I really started to understand the way that intrusive and anxious thoughts work and how that like kind of plays into all the emotions that we're feeling beneath the surface. I didn't really know how to classify those things or whether to even call it anxiety. I I just kind of called myself a control freak, a perfectionist, all those labels that a lot of us women put on ourselves or that we carry. It's always interesting to me that anxiety can present itself in different ways. So some people listening might not realize like where it's coming from, you know, like that it could be primarily anxiety that is leading to, you know, anger and rage. I know for me, I think I started anxiety medication when I was in my master's program. When I had Milo, I was still on it. Obviously, speak to your doctor. Like I spoke to my doctor and, you know, we decided me staying on the anxiety medication was like for the best. But I remember in postpartum thinking like, I'm experiencing this and I'm already being treated for anxiety. I'm already very like self-aware 
of like when I'm feeling anxious and I'm still having issues. So it made me think about people who are maybe not being treated for anxiety, not as aware of like how it can present itself, like what anxiety looks like. Cause I think we all have a very narrow view of what anxiety is. Like, oh, it's just like feeling anxious, like as if you're gonna go speak in public, you know? But it can be so many things. Or like the feeling of a panic attack coming on. Like I know I've I've spoken with a lot of women who are like, I've never had a panic attack in my life. I don't feel physical anxiety, but I know that there's something going on. I'm I'm feeling an urgency. I'm feeling easily overwhelmed. I'm so like you're right. It can present itself in so many different ways. And it's good to know that so that you aren't worried if you don't fit in this one concrete box. Yeah. And I think for the most part, Everybody is concerned about, and the conversation is usually around postpartum depression, which is almost like if you think about like being depressed, it's more of like, it seems like the opposite. So I think if people are concerned about postpartum depression and like looking out for that, but then they find themselves experiencing like almost the exact opposite and they're like high strung and anxious and experiencing anger, maybe they're not like you said, like how you felt, like you didn't really know what was going on. And you're, you know, we're so well-versed in postpartum depression and there's lots of conversation about it. So yeah, like do doctors even screen for postpartum anxiety? Or I guess you would have to go to them with a complaint first and then, but yeah. I think like people are starting to talk more and more about it, which is great. Your experience with anger in postpartum, were there certain things that would trigger you or was it just like a general feeling? Oh gosh, how, how much time do we have? Yeah. <laughs> are there things that, certain things that would trigger me? Yeah, yeah, all day long. For me in particular, it was instances where I didn't feel fully in control, which is basically the summation of motherhood. There is nothing in your control. So things like my baby crying, things like my baby skipping a nap, things like my baby not fully eating or fully nursing. It could be things like my husband is now at work and he forgot to do the thing I asked him to do before he left that morning. Or it could be that, you know, I I entrusted, I entrusted our daughter into his care and I'm noticing that he's on his phone and he's supposed to be watching, right? Like any little thing, big or small, in some way, shape or form was very likely to become a trigger for me. And really it had very little to do with the situation and more so to do with just how insecure I felt around those things. I craved that control so deeply. I wanted to feel like I could have this more predictable, convenient, secure life. And everything was just so unpredictable. And and I really had to grapple with that. And, And because it took me time to learn those skills, yeah, they're for sure. These were for sure triggers where I was exploding in random ways. The first instance of like, like out of sorts, like just not normal for me, like where I felt like anger and rage, where what I was getting upset about just didn't seem like it just wasn't like an appropriate reaction. You know what I mean? But was the napping thing. 
And I feel like we set ourselves up to be not disappointed, but feeling out of control and feeling like a failure because we're told that, you know, babies should be on this like perfect schedule. And, you know, it's like a nap at this time and then playtime and then tummy time and then they eat and then there's going to be another nap. And I remember when Milo was really, really little and we had just started to do like the nap routine thing. And when he wouldn't go down for a nap, it's like I felt like I spent half my day just trying to get him to sleep. And I would get so worked up because he wasn't having his nap. Like he's supposed to have his nap. And finally I was like, you know, my husband would be coming home from work and I'm like miserable. I've had a terrible day because I was so stressed out about a schedule. So finally I was like, okay, we need to like let go of this, you know, perfect nap schedule and just be a little bit more flexible because it's literally ruining my day. And like, he's only this little for so long. Like, do I want to spend it being absolutely miserable and like stressed out because he's not going to sleep? So I had to kind of just like let that go a little bit. But yeah, the nap thing and the schedule, like, whew. Yeah, and, and what you're describing happens to so many more moms than I think a lot of us know. As you're like describing that situation, I even want to take it a step further because again, like that was also my experience. It wasn't for for me, it, it was it was one, the fact that I wanted my daughter to be on a schedule and I felt like, oh, like you know, the schedule was put up on a pedestal. But there was also this like other layer of desperation and franticness that I felt because I had for the longest time put my self-care and my quiet time and my time of journaling and reading like up on a pedestal so that when I did become accustomed to using naps as like, oh, this is my care time, this is my self-care time, the moment that a nap was missed or skipped or there was resistance or she was waking up too early, I felt like, again, that franticness and desperation that would come up because of the things that I valued and were holding so tightly to. Mm -hmm. It's being taken away. And it's interesting that you say that because that's what I always say with regard to bedtime battles right now when Milo's four years old. Like the evening time is my husband and I can watch our show. Like we haven't seen each other all day. Like dinner time is crazy. And so that's like you're looking forward to that time of day. And then when it gets taken away from you, like they're having difficulty going to sleep. They're like having a meltdown and you're dealing with that until like 9, 9.30 at night. Now it's like, okay, well, there goes like my whole evening that I was looking forward to. And I think that's what creates the anger and like the rage feelings because you have set up this expectation already that like, oh, you know, seven o'clock, seven thirty, eight o'clock, Finally, like he's going to go to bed and we're going to get to do like X, Y, Z. So when that doesn't happen, it's really upsetting and we get angry. So I feel like if that expectation is not there, it's less of a hit when it doesn't happen. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Can we talk a little bit about how being an angry mom or experiencing these emotions, and I feel like it's literally any negative emotion as a mom, especially a new mom, is 
almost like taboo. It's frowned upon. People don't talk about it very much because they don't want people to judge them and think like, I always get like, oh, you must really love your kid. Like just because I talk about like difficult things in motherhood, people just assume you don't want to be a mother or you regret having your kids, which is not the case. So where do you think that comes from? Yeah, I think it comes from, honestly, I think a part of it comes from misinformation. I think that there's a lot of stuff out there about mental illness and like good stuff, like like things that we need to know. But I think because rage is so not normalized, it's almost like if you experience rage, then, I mean, I know this was my experience definitely, but also other women too that I've talked to where it's like you start to go through the list of, Am I bipolar? Am I like is something wrong with me? Like I, you know, am I? Do I need to be checked into a mental hospital? Like because rage is just it's just one of those emotions that we almost have put into a category of this is super 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 scary and wrong. I'm abusive. Am I right? So like like we go through this whole like list of things that could be possibly wrong with us. So that makes it really hard to want to talk about what's going on because. You're afraid of what you might be told is wrong with you. You're afraid that because of whatever thing that might come up, you're afraid that maybe your kids might be taken away from you. And yes, you're afraid of that judgment piece of like, what will people think if they know that I'm screaming in my baby's face in the middle of the night? Or if they know that like, I had this moment where I like threw a dish at the wall and I broke it. Like how, like, it's really hard to feel comfortable talking about those things when it's not talked about very often. And there's just a lot, when rage does come up in conversation, it's only associated with these very serious and also taboo things like being an abusive, being an abusive mom, being bipolar, which like there are like plenty of women do experience rage or bipolar. And like that does need to be talked about. But I think also too, rage can just be an experience of any mom who's experiencing anxiety. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. 
If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. I have definitely like whipped Milo's toothbrush across the room. Like, I don't know what it is. Something about like bedtime and like the brushing the teeth. I had my dentist on for an episode and I was like, why does nobody talk about how difficult it can be to brush your child's teeth? Like he'll be fine 75% of the time, but the other 25%, and again, it's like, I feel like this has to be done. It has to be done well. And so when he is like putting up a fight and he's four years old, like, what am I going to do? I can't like hold him down and like shove a toothbrush in his mouth. So a few times I have been like, never mind, like whip his toothbrush across the room. And then you think to yourself, like, what is wrong with me? Like, why did I just do that? Like, hey, if you're listening and you've whipped a toothbrush across the room, like me too, like me too. So let's talk a little bit now about where does the anger come from? So like, why did I whip the toothbrush across the room? And again, it's like, it's the small random situations, like on paper, your child is refusing to brush his teeth, like big deal. But like, why, why do we get so angry? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we touched on it a little bit earlier when we started talking about anxiety, but I kind of want to broaden this conversation a little bit because I think anxiety can be a sort of an umbrella term really so as far as like why did you throw the toothbrush it could be a couple different things it could be fear you're fearful that he's not going to get his teeth teeth clean enough and that this will cause problems and he will get a cavity right like maybe you're catastrophizing in your head and it's coming from this fear It could be that you're feeling urgency. You're like, come on, like we've been in the bathroom for like close to 10 minutes now and this is cutting into my time and I don't have time for this and I'm just done. I'm ready to be done, right? It could be coming from that place. It could be that what you were feeling was like pressure, 
Like maybe, maybe just this feeling of like, I'm supposed to have a child who brushes his teeth. He's four years old. He's supposed to be, right? And like that can turn into this frantic, desperate sort of energy. It could be that it's coming from things from your childhood even, where you are thinking like, I would have never been as difficult with my mom as my child's being with me. How dare he, right? And almost like this frustration and resentment and just incredulousness of like, what is happening here? There could be so many different things going on, but a lot of it just in an umbrella sort of way, you could call it fear and anxiety. It's coming from, I'm out of control. I feel helpless. I feel powerless. And this has to change or else. It's the helpless and the powerlessness. Because if you look at the situation, like this is a four-year-old, like I'm his mom. Like, why is it so difficult to get the most basic things done sometimes? And I just want to point out, if my mom's listening to this episode, mom, I know that I was a difficult child. (laughs) My mom was probably listening and like screaming in her car, like, no, she was terrible. Uh, I was difficult, but that's what I always think. Like when we're having a bad like bedtime or anything, my husband looks at me and he's like, this is you. Like, this is how you were as a child. I'm like, I know, I know. Uh, So anywho, I totally agree. And so if someone is struggling with the feeling powerless, Because I think that is a huge thing. Like, no, it's bedtime. Like, I'm the parent. Like, it's time to go to bed. And it's like, no, I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. I'm not going to bed. I'm not going. Like, nonstop. How do we, like, move past that? Or, like, what are your tips, you know, for people who struggle with that? Yeah. I think think a lot of it boils down to confidence and the feeling of empowerment. And even, like, a lot of the work that I do and the programs I've created for moms, like, there's the word empowered somewhere very prominently in it because I think that the more empowered or powerful we feel as women and as moms and as partners the easier it is to let the things go let the small stuff go and not stress out and not go to that worst case scenario in our minds and so I love this like toothbrush example because I just feel like it's so it's so specific and relevant so like going to that example if you're looking for a way to manage your emotions and not get to that point of rage and frustration I would say the best place to start is by looking at what's going to help empower you here? Is it just knowing that you have options? Is it knowing, like having in your back pocket, this idea of like, we can just skip toothbrushing the night or I, or I've already created a system where there's like a reward if he does do this and, or I have a timer, I have a tool, right? Like where can you grow your confidence? Is it knowing that you have options? Is it knowing that you have plenty of time to do what you need to do and keeping that at the top of your mind, just remembering that maybe even having a piece of paper in the bathroom, like on the wall that says, you have time for this. This may take 10 minutes, but then you have the whole evening ahead of you, right? Like just that reassurance that this is not going to be World War III and take the whole night long and that you will get past this. I just think that the more we can grow our own confidence in these specific situations, the much easier it is to stay out of that anxious, I've got to fight for control kind of place that so many of us moms find ourselves in. It's almost like you get to this desperate place and you're just like, what do I do in this situation? Like, you're just like at a loss. The timer thing, 
Having little tools like that or ideas, I try and share when something works for us, I try and share it on Instagram because it's usually these small little things. Like you said, the timer, the timer has been key for us for so many things. It works so well. Like, okay, how many minutes do you want before bedtime? Like he'll be like four minutes. We'll be like, okay, like set it for four minutes. And then when the timer goes off, he knows him not wanting to get dressed in the morning. I'm like, oh, I'm going to set a timer for a minute. Do you think we can get you dressed in a minute? Like you said, like you're going in being confident, having a plan instead of just like floundering and being like, ugh. And I do think the, like you had mentioned, the sense of urgency, like this morning was chaos trying to get him to school. And like the pressure of having to get him to school at a certain amount of time adds that sense of urgency. But at the same time, like Renee, he's in kindergarten. It's not like he's like going to write an exam. If he's five minutes late, like it's going to be okay. Like, you know, like we have to kind of take a different perspective. Like instead of like focusing so micro on the situation where we feel powerless, it's like take a, like a macro view. Like, okay, he's a child in kindergarten. If he's five minutes late, like it's going to be okay. You know? And not only that, but even just being more factual with yourself of like, how many times in the last six months have we been late? Has it been one time in the whole history? Okay, I think we're okay, right? Like we can afford another couple of times. Like I just think that even getting specific with numbers and facts and like what actually is happening can be really powerful because it's using that logical part of our brain that our emotional brain does not always like to access or is not capable of accessing in heightened moments. I'm sure everybody struggles with different parts of parenting. Like for example, like eating and food is not a trigger for me at all. Like he doesn't want to eat dinner. That's fine. We'll have a snack after bath. Like, oh, you want to eat this and not this? Okay. Like I have zero issue with food Some people, that might be their struggle, you know, like the dinner times, the sitting at the table. So I feel like we all have our own areas that we maybe experience more anxiety and get more worked up over than others. So it can be different for everyone. Definitely. And I will say too, that it's not only because maybe like your experiences or your upbringing, but I think it's also just because maybe what we're being fed with social media too, which I'm sure, you know, at some point we were going to talk about anyway, because it is such a prevalent part of mom culture or mom life. It's the things that we're scrolling through day after day. I think a mom who maybe isn't following a whole bunch of Montessori accounts won't feel too self-conscious about the way her kids are playing, but a mom who is might, right? Or vice versa, right? So like, it could be too, the like the input the you that's coming in also informs how high stakes something feels in our daily motherhood. Or even like little like passive aggressive comments from family members or friends, you know, it might not be something that you were even aware of or thinking of. And then, you know, you hear comments here and there and you're like, oh, and then you become more focused on that area. So when somebody goes to work with you for anger management, first of all, like what is anger management? Like, is it coping mechanisms? Yeah, I love, I love that question because 
I don't know about you, but when I picture anger management, I picture like a whole bunch of dudes sitting yeah. in a classroom, like in a circle together with like a water cooler in the back and like dim yes. for, or like horrible fluorescent lighting. Like you picture like it's like a punishment almost. And and anger management, like in in many places, is a mandated program for people who maybe were recommended or referred by their workplace or maybe are being mandated by the court to attend. So like I actually am certified to teach those classes. That That's what my certification is in. It's being able to be that person in the dimly lit classroom telling people how to better manage their anger. But as far as like the nitty gritty of like what takes place in those classes or and really like what I like to focus on especially, it's thought management. It's actually knowing what is your self-talk on a daily basis. And do you like the emotions that those, that that self-talk or that those thoughts and beliefs and stories, do you like the emotions that those are fueling? Because oftentimes it's not just that like anxiety comes out of nowhere. Now, can anxiety come out of nowhere? Yes, because there maybe is a trauma response that we're looking at. And that is something very different. That's a different kind of work. But when it comes to just like non-trauma-based anxiety, usually there's an anxious thought or an intrusive thought or a possibly a long-time belief that's beneath that. And it could be the thought of like, like, let's go back to the toothbrush example. It could be the thought of like, he has to brush his teeth. Now, you might not realize that that's an anxious thought, but it kind of is because it's like this very serious, like he has to, he needs to brush his teeth. And that self-talk, that story is driving the emotions that you're going into the situation with. So really my work is just to teach how to, one, figure out what are those thoughts, what are those expectations or beliefs or those stories that are really driving you in these moments. But then also too, it's to help you reframe the perspective there, rewrite the narrative, or create some new evidence for yourself to help you see things to the contrary. So instead of only being able to go into the situation with, he has to brush his teeth, you're actually more free to go into it with, it's okay if it takes us a while for him to brush his teeth, or today we're going to work really well on the top teeth, and then tomorrow we're going to work on the bottom teeth, right? Like, I don't know exactly what the what would be the the go-to thought there? Because every person is going to have to decide that for themselves depending on where they're coming from and what is needing to be resolved in them. But ultimately, it comes down to shifting your perspective and really being able to do that work before you get to the heat of the moment because when you're in the heat of it, it's really hard to do that thought mind management. So this just made me think of like when you were saying focusing on our thoughts, that's so interesting to me and I've never thought about it, but I don't feel anxious in my body, like physically anxious or even like worried in my mind. But when you were saying like, what are the thoughts going through your mind in that situation? Like literally when Milo is being difficult with brushing his teeth, I'm like picturing us at like the pediatric specialist my husband having to hold him down to get a cavity. I'm like, here we go. Like, we're going to have to like do that. Like, that's literally going through my mind. And I don't think it's interesting. Like, my husband is not an angry person at all. Like, he never gets worked up. And he does not have those thoughts at all. Like, 
he is thinking more probably just realistically like how you framed it, you know, well, okay, if he doesn't brush his teeth, like big deal. Like he brushes his teeth for the most part, but tonight's not a big deal. Whereas I'm like, oh my God, like he's going to have to get like cavities and like, uh." it's a whole different thought process. Absolutely. And and I think like for that specific situation, I love how much we're talking about toothbrushing, by the way, because whoever is listening to this and this is like one of their biggest triggers, they're going to love this episode. They're like, thank you for unpacking this. It can cause so much like emotional distress and it seems so silly. Like, oh, your kid won't brush their teeth. Like, but I'm sure so many people listening are like, oh my God, me too. Like I want to throw the toothbrush or do throw the toothbrush like you know yeah and so I think like going along those lines like a little while ago we talked about like what would help you grow your confidence there or help you feel more secure in some way and I would maybe even argue that for you it could be actually doing the research and math of like what's the likelihood of my child getting a cavity how much would that cost how many appointments would that take looking up a video of like how to coach your child in preparation for it for getting a cavity filled like almost like letting yourself go to that worst case scenario which by the way is not that bad lots of I know no he had one like a few months ago and it really it was fine like it happens right but it was like the uncertainty and the dread and like oh my gosh this is the worst thing like like we have to be willing to talk ourselves down off of those ledges And again, so much of that work has to take place outside of the moment. We cannot just trust our emotional brain to switch over to our logical brain when we are starting to have that self-talk and that anxiety come back up. It's just going to be way too hard. You have to have some sort of time set aside, even if it's just five minutes, to really look more closely at what's going on and find a way out. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling 
wrangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolavie.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Something that has really helped me with bedtime struggles is realizing that this is temporary. Like I think when our kids are having like a meltdown or we're going through a difficult situation with them, it can feel like it's going to go on forever. And like, oh my God, like, here we go. Like I'm going to be up till midnight, you know, for the most part, like 99.9% of the time he's like in bed sleeping by 930. So I really try to, you know, if it's 8.30 and he's giving us trouble and like meltdown and uh, not wanting to go to bed, in my mind, I'm always like, okay, this is temporary. Like this is going to be over like in the next hour at the most. And you're going to be in bed reading your Kindle and it's going to be over. So like thinking about how like it's not going to last forever and thinking about where I'm going to be in like an hour and a half, cozy in my bed by myself, like reading my Kindle, that helps. I I absolutely agree. Even just realizing like, you know what, he's kind of crying, crying right now. And this is taking a lot longer than I thought. I'm going to pop some AirPods in and I'm going to have a podcast going because this can still be time for me as well. It's not perfect. It's not that picture perfect evening that we maybe planned, but there's still ways that you can ease the struggle a little bit for yourself or ease the struggle for him. And so, yeah, like, I think like just reminding yourself, this is not going to last forever. And there is a, there is an end point I can look forward to, but also like asking yourself the question of how can I make the most of it? Since this is happening, it's not fully in my control. What is in my control? How can I simplify or improve the situation for us? Like if there's moms listening right now who they yell a lot, like they want to yell less, they want to not be so angry all the time. Because I also think it's like a, a cycle, like you're super angry, let's say in the morning, and then that carries over, like it's like you feel shame, like now you feel bad, and it's like a vicious cycle. So how do people kind of let go of what happened, let's say this morning or throwing the toothbrush, like get over it, like not dwell on the shame part of it and kind of like repair and move forward and still be confident and empowered. Definitely. I would say first, figure out what lesson you learned from that. Figure out what was the valuable thing you needed to see. What was the thought driving you that you needed to realize was driving you? And don't forget that. I think that sometimes the reason why we beat ourselves up for so long is because we come out of an explosion or we come out of a really a, a big mistake that we made and we haven't figured out what comes next or how to perhaps make things better for the future or how can we reframe our perspective for the future. We're not taking the time to at least identify one of those things. I think that the more that you do that, the easier it is to let go because now you're already thinking about the potential of being able to succeed and do better the next time. So I think that that's one element that more moms can work on is just like making sure you're really learning something and not not something like, I'm a failure, I suck. Like that's not what we're trying to learn here. It's where were you at mentally 
that you need to spend some time thinking about and solving for this week. I always say like reflecting. I remember one time I like lost my mind. I was sitting right here in this chair and I was quickly, I had like this important email that I was trying to answer on my phone and Milo was in my office and I was like, it had been like a stressful weekend. I think my husband was like in the hospital for most of the time. He's a doctor. He wasn't like hurt. And it was just like, a snowball of events. And then like the last straw was like, I'm trying to write this email and like Milo was doing whatever, hit my phone out of my hands or like whatever. And I got so angry, like pulled him out of the office, like closed the door, like, cause it was this feeling of like, I've been trying to do stuff all weekend. Like it's just like constant, like hit, 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 hit. And then finally it was like explosion. And like you were saying, I had to sit and reflect like, okay, it wasn't just about that one situation. If that was a one-off situation, it would have been not a big deal at all. But it was like a series of events, a series of unfortunate events (laughs) that just like led to that one moment. So instead of like feeling shitty about myself and like shame. And, you know, I actually sat and thought like, well, you know what? I kind of have to give myself the benefit of the doubt. Like it has been a really like stressful weekend. There's multiple things going on that, you know, I kept my shit together for like day in, day out, day in, day out. And then this one moment I reacted like as a human does. So kind of like giving yourself grace and really thinking about Like, have your needs been met at all for the past, like, three, four days? Like, is that what led to that? So, yeah, really sitting and reflecting on the situation, I think, is such good advice. Definitely, yeah. And with that specific situation, too, I would even say, like, not only of looking back of, like, well, have my needs been met? And if not, okay, like, let's offer ourselves some compassion and grace. But also asking the question, how can I maybe meet? a need here in the future. It could be that like you make that mental decision of, you know what, the next time there are emails piling up, that's that's taking place during snack time. Because I know that he's sitting at the table. I know that he's satisfied for at least those 10 minutes. And that's when I'm going to pull out my laptop and just get to work to respond to them. Like making that just one simple decision to meet that one micro need. Again, like it doesn't fix everything and make motherhood wildly like more fulfilling or less stressful. But it does kind of curb a little bit of that anxiety that that maybe it is situational, but it's still, it's a very real thing that could happen again and keep happening if you're not making that small change for the future. Yeah. And I think oftentimes moms have a difficult time asking for help to get their needs met. So even like in that situation with the email, moving forward, I could be like, okay, On Sunday afternoons, if I want to get some emails done before Monday morning comes, like I should just tell my husband that that's what I want to go do. I'm going to go sit in my office for 20 minutes, you know, instead of trying to do it while also trying to like do childcare. Do you know what I mean? Like instead of being like, okay, I am going to do this for X amount of time, we try to do it all at once. And then it's like, you're doing everything kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah, that's not fair to us. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to people we're working with or to our kids. It's it's not fair to split our attention that 
frequently. It, it, it's hard. It, it wears on everybody, especially ourselves. Do you have any tips for people that might be experiencing like exhaustion or burnout as a parent? Yeah, I would say remember the things that used to be fun and figure out how can you start to pursue those again? And not in like a super crazy way of like, okay, I'm going to quit being a stay-at-home mom and be a full-time photographer now. Like maybe that's not the solution. Like maybe it doesn't have to be this big, serious life change, but it could just be like, let's say that you've always enjoyed, you know, before having kids, you loved having time to yourself to read and write and take notes and, and journal. Then finding more joy instead of just exhaustion and burnout is to find the simple ways that can fit back in. Now, your self-talk that like those negative anxious thoughts and those intrusive thoughts are going to tell you, you don't have time. You don't have the energy for this anymore. You can't do this. You have to wait till the kids are older. It's just too much. You just don't have the capacity. You will have those thoughts keep coming up and that's fine. You don't have to fully believe them. What you can do is you can just set the smallest little goal of like, okay, if I were to let myself believe that I can pursue these things again, what's the simplest way I could start implementing that? Is it just one evening this week for 10 minutes, that's going to be that time. Let me just build up some evidence for my own brain here that it's even possible. I think that that's one way we can start to come out of that burnout. It's expanding our our view of what's possible. It's expanding our capacity of, of, of what we can really do and being willing to find that, find that evidence for that. And even like if you have a partner at home, getting them in on it as well and being like, listen, this is really important to me. Like maybe you're not feeling super fulfilled since becoming a mom. I think it's very common for people to like completely lose their hobbies that they had, like not see friends as much. And so getting your partner on board and being like, this is really important. Like I'm going to be a better mother, a better like partner if I can do X, Y, Z. So how can we work as a team to, you know, have you have a life outside of the home, but also me. Because I think oftentimes, like, the person that is not birthing the child, it's a lot easier for them to maintain their social life, their hobbies. And yeah, I feel for people who just, like, are not feeling fulfilled as a whole human. And I think that can lead to burnout. Because I know I was feeling like that during quarantine. Because I was home, my husband was working his usual job. Milo was at like a very special age. He was like 18 months old. Like that was really difficult. And I wasn't able, like everything that was like a hobby of mine or like goals or like, you know, looking for a job, like all of that just kind of stopped. And I remember thinking like, only doing childcare 24 seven and not being able to even like see friends, like visit family, like go to the gym, like do anything. I just felt like so not fulfilled. Like TikTok filled a little bit of a, <laughs> filled me up just a little bit, but yeah, it can be really difficult. And I think that it's easier to feel burnt out and exhausted when you are not filling your cup with things that really interest you as a person outside of being a mom. 
Absolutely. And even being willing to bring those things into being a mom if you have to, right? If you don't have a partner who can help, if you don't have family, if you don't have that support system, or you really like you have the kid who's up until 10 o'clock at night, you don't have that like designated time to yourself, then find those creative ways you can meld the two together Whether that looks like, okay, every day we have special writing time where I give my toddler a big notebook and all the different colored pens he could want and I literally just let them scribble while I'm sitting here getting to download things that I want to get out there and put onto paper. I think that sometimes we just got to get a little bit creative and willing to experiment instead of go to that place of I can't do it, just won't happen, it's never going to work. That's a very debilitating place to be in. Yeah. And I think oftentimes once you get into a set routine, even if that routine is not serving you, it can feel daunting to change it up, you know? And let's say you want to start walking every morning at like 9 a.m., but you're home with like a young baby. It can feel daunting to be like, well, I'm going to bundle them up in their snowsuit or wherever you live. Maybe it's like putting sunscreen on them. And like getting them in the stroller and going for a walk. But once you do it and you are successful at it a few times, I think you start to realize how much more you can do, you know, and and meet those little goals and do things for yourself. Yeah, you feel more empowered. So why rage anymore, right? Like, Like that's kind of like it's like one step of empowerment gets you closer to getting out of that perpetual rage and frustration it's you resurfacing from the pit that you feel like you're in and just realizing that oh like there was fresh air here all along I just had a really hard time clawing my way past all the thoughts that were intrusively jumbling themselves up inside of me Mm -hmm. yeah so important well this was such a great conversation oh I love everything that we talked about. Where can people find you online? Do you have an Instagram account? Oh, girl. Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, it was somebody else that I wasn't sure if they had an Instagram account. See, like I, I mix everything up. But yeah, your Instagram is Jesse Aredia. Yes. Yes. And people can also find me just by typing in life coach for angry moms. Oh, nice. Like in Google or on Instagram? On Instagram. Yeah. Oh, they'll find me on Google as well. Or they can just visit my website, jessiaredia.com. But Instagram is where I love to hang out. I like to just spread awareness, offer some healthy mindset shifts for moms, and then definitely share what helps moms get out of that perpetual anger and just into that place of more emotional wellness and joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so important. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It was lovely to meet you. And yeah, everybody go follow Jesse. And I feel you if you whip your toothbrush <laughs> or your child's <laughs> toothbrush across the room. Yeah. yeah, the moral of the story is you're not alone. And there's a lot yeah. to examine here. <laughs> thank you for having me on.